Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Paola Rodriguez, one of the producers of the show. This week, we examined how a multi-generational conflict between Israel and Palestine is affecting academic spaces in Arizona. On this week's show, we had a long discussion with two University of Arizona faculty and staff members about their recent suspension following a classroom discussion about the conflict. For timing reasons, it couldn't make it into the show, but we wanted to bring the longer interview to you. In it, you will hear from community liaison Rebecca Zapian and director of the Early Childhood Education Program, Becca Lopez, about what happened how they felt, and whether they believe it is possible to hold class discussions regarding social justice on these types of topics. So to get started, can one of you kind of detail me what happened and where we got to where we are now in terms of the College of Education and your class about cultural pluralism in young children? So we teach a class called Cultural Pluralism for Young Children. It's for early childhood teachers, people who are gonna become certified teachers birth through age eight. And this class kind of sets the framework for the whole program. And so the idea of it is to understand all the components that play a role in our experiences as human beings. And so we talk a lot about um, current events you know, we talk about larger theoretical f frameworks and how to apply them, specifically funds of knowledge, which Dr. Norma Gonzalez authored from our, who is now retired from our college. But we have a practice of pausing weekly and talking about things that are going on in the world and then specifically applying it to how it relates to young children and us as teachers. So we had a conversation on November 1st in that class. We, ha we teach that class twice, once on Wednesdays, once on Fridays to two different groups of students. And the conversation that was recorded happened on Wednesday. We started to get some understanding of people had some feelings about it. They went to different offices here in the university. And we started to hear back that there was some disagreement and hurt feelings around the conversation and who we did and didn't validate. How long have you all been teaching this course? So I'm actually an alum from the program. I graduated in 2014. And so I was actually able to take the cultural pluralism class with Norma Gonzalez, who Rebecca mentioned. So after I graduated, I went on to grad school. And when I was in the TLS department for grad school, I was teaching the course as a grad student. So together, Rebecca and I have been teaching the course since 2019. And Rebecca has a longer history with the course, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I've been teaching, uh, I, I'm not the instructor of record, I'm a co-facilitator of the class, and I was mentored by Norma in the role that I'm in with Becca now. So it's been easily over 10 years that I've been in that course. And you both have very different experiences from your perspectives, maybe starting off with you, Becca. You know, the conversations about um, Israel and Palestine, if this had happened maybe when you were a student, would those have been conversations that would have been held in the course in Norma who was teaching it at that time? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the The topics within the context of TLS 411 are always very significant, very big topics. We, we've talked about trans rights and how to support our trans students. We've talked about 
SRO, school resource officers in, in, in schools. We talk about critical race theory and how people are trying to take away social emotional learning. Like our, our topics are always really important and really current. And yeah, so this would not have been a topic we would not have talked about even when I was a student. And do you agree with that, Rebecca? Absolutely. Um, It's definitely one of those things that even when there isn't something happening that is immediate that we pause and have our media watch or some time to debrief about. So for example, last year there was a school shooting, what they thought was a, a shooting here on campus. And we talked about the policies around that that impact schools. We talk about the impact on us as human beings going through those things. And even in acute moments of those things, we talk about larger contexts that inform what's happening around us. So it doesn't mean that something big is happening out in the world for us to talk about something that people might have philosophical, emotional disagreements about. And specifically on the lecture about Israel and Palestine, what were some of the feedback that you receive, if you're able to talk about this, uh, some of the feedback that you receive from students who might not have agreed with some of the contents of what you all were teaching or discussing about? I would definitely say that it was less, much less of a lecture and more of a conversation. We frame all of the media watch and all of these conversations as something we're facilitating rather than lecturing. I've only received one copy of one of the complaints, and there are more, but I haven't seen them. Um, We also haven't been able to speak with the students yet to hear from them specifically what they feel the harm was. But in the one complaint that I did see, the feedback was just that they felt unheard, like their perspectives didn't have enough space within the context of the conversation to be heard. One of the things that I've heard back, and it's not directly from students, like Becca said, we haven't had a whole lot of engagement of direct conversation with students specifically about this. So one of the administrators shared that uh, a piece of feedback was that we didn't make the content explicitly tied to young children in a way that really brought the students all the way along, which is part of our jobs as people who are engaging in academic learning spaces and also part of the work of the student. So I I can hear that and also I I sit with it as a like, what is the role of a student and what's the role of us? Like we can't always bring everybody along, right? So that's really the only one. Tracking to everything that has happened to now, when was the notice that you all got administrative leave and what were your initial reactions to that? So we received the the formal letter of being put up, placed on administrative leave on November 14th. Um, and it was very hard to receive the letter, especially because it was just two days prior when the audio that was recorded in class without the students or instructors consent was um, made viral on social media and so we were i'll speak for myself but i know that we were both experiencing tons of hate mail people posting our faces everywhere and saying these terrible things about us so i was in a space where i already felt alone and scared and isolated and then receiving the letter i knew it was going to happen because we had been made aware verbally that it was going to happen i knew it was going to happen but it still just hurt especially with all of the things that i was feeling around the doxing and the harassment and the bullying on social media 
Yeah, I, I felt stunned. We knew it was coming, and once we got it, it included information about what it was that we were potentially in violation for, which was engagement in political activity during work hours and uh, code of conduct, which um, sat really heavy because our program and our department, which is teaching, learning, and sociocultural studies, has a commitment to what they say is social justice. And it felt like a contradiction in what we're asked to do as teachers, as a profession, and also specifically what we're asked to do as people who work with future teachers. So on top of the like overwhelming feeling of the hate mail and the phone calls, the sort of questioning of my ability to do my job in a way that I've always done it felt really hard to sit with. There's a lot to take away from what you both said. Um, I want to first start off with the virality of the post and then go on to talking about what you all were investigated under, which was uh, the political activity and code of conduct. But to start off with, when the media post went viral on X, formerly known as Twitter, did you all see that post? And what were your initial reactions to the audio recordings when, if you did see the post? I did see it. A colleague of ours um, shared it with both Becca and I. And I, I tried to kind of um, listen to it, you know, uh, and it was immediate that it was... Um, you know, selective clips taken out of context of the conversation. There were lots of, um, I don't know what they're called, but sort of like digital rewording with our pictures on, of things that we said that are like clearly taken out of context. And at the same time, I was realizing that we were getting all this hate email. You know, at that point, it was like, oh, this is, this is going somewhere even worse. <laughs> and I, I think in that moment, it was too much for me to like, sit with it and listen to it but I did take a look at it it's the same for me I I looked at it once um, I went through each of the the clips it was painful because of everything Rebecca said being taken out of context I also found it extremely frustrating that on the post there's quotations of things that imply that we made those statements but we never did even you listen to the audio clips in their entirety that's those things were never said and so yeah it just felt terrible because i know a little bit about how social media works and how people are just quick to look and then make assumptions so if they look and they see quotes they're going to assume we said those things which we absolutely never did and so it's just it was really hard so i looked once i had to deactivate my social media because of messages that i was receiving so i didn't i haven't looked since the first day that we were made aware of it. You all have been doxxed and I think someone at the sit-in had mentioned that I believe one of you was scared to be living where you're, you were at. I don't remember which one it was. If you all could talk to me a little bit about that experience and where you are now and if you feel safe. Um, that was me. Our information was made public in a way that felt really unsafe my role in the university i'm not a professor i'm a staff member my official title is community liaison and the capacity that our program is in is we're actually not here on campus very much we're out in community i work with lots of teachers lots of families and i'm i'm a known person i'm easily identified my information is very public 
And once the email started coming in and then the phone calls, it became one of those things where like, you know, I, I go everywhere and I see people that I either know socially or through work. And it felt really scary to be at home with my family in a way that was so exposed where so much hatred was sort of being shared about things that were untrue. I am home now. Feels okay. To be honest, it's hard to be on campus. You know, there's all this language about harm and pain that was caused. And it's often about us doing that to the students. And realistically, I think some of the complexity of this is how we haven't been. I don't think we have to be celebrated or anything, but we have worked really hard for community members, which you saw in the sit-in alongside them. We don't work for them. We work alongside. We benefit from mutual relationship and for the institution to really just drive home that they don't have our backs has been really challenging and, and really heartbreaking. And really, I guess that's that kind of the world we live in. I received, you know, probably the same amount or a similar amount of hate mail and, and phone calls and things as Rebecca. And I live far from campus and I felt fear. My family felt fear. So for me to think about how Rebecca must have felt, who has been in the community much longer, who is much more well-known, um, who does live close to campus, I couldn't imagine how her and her family must have been feeling because we, being far away from campus, we were scared as well. Because, I mean, you do a simple Google search of our names and you can find, you know, anything. So it was it, it, it was really scary. And I can only imagine what your children were feeling at that same time. I cannot imagine. It was a lot for all of us. I think, you know, both Becca and I are parents. We were alone in this in lots of ways. And, you know, nobody's really taught these skills of what to do when you get doxxed and it goes viral and people say awful things. And obviously, like as a parent, you know, my initial response is to be protective and I don't have any real way of doing that. You know, I think some of the messaging that has been really impactful on my kids is this idea of like, you know, that they're watching their parent go through this and also like what it's like to be a person in the world where something like speaking on genocide gets questioned to such an extent or that the dignity and humanity of Palestinians um, being something that can get talked about in an academic setting is shut down. As a person who's a parent, I don't want that (laughs) kind of world for my kids. Obviously, it's the world we live in. And it's heartbreaking on a lot of levels. On that same breath of having these conversations within an an academic setting, your class is very much stemmed on being vulnerable and being willing to have these open and honest conversations about not only what's going on in the world, but also your own personal lives. How does that maybe change how you go forward in teaching this class, if you will teach it in the future? I have made it clear that I do not want the course to change at all moving forward. I agree with Rebecca that this course is foundational and it lays the roots for every other class that we take in the program and I don't want to remove anything around, um, you know, talking about socio-political issues, talking about young children and how they're impacted by policies and so I am hoping that the college 
and university puts forth some sort of policy around recording in class or distributing those recordings so that students know from the get-go like this is not something that's allowed to just try and, and recreate this like safe enough space for students to be able to engage is what I would what I would say. The plan according to what we've been told is that the class will move forward in its context and I'm not entirely sure that I'm paying a lot of attention or giving a lot of energy to things about policy around recordings mostly because it's been made clear and one of the things that we've learned that it's perfectly legal here. What I will do moving forward is just communicate that this is a space where we get to be open and share our opinions and have critical conflict, if you will, or disagreement and then ability to engage in those ways. I wouldn't say or do anything different moving forward. I stand by the things that we've always done. And I think part of the thing that is really difficult to engage in is that, you know, these ideas of academic freedom are being talked around this and who it applies to and who it doesn't apply to. And I feel like that is hard to engage in as well because it feels like we need to be really direct about what it was that we talked about, meaning Palestine, that we were punished for it, that we were made to be people who we weren't because we talked about something that people have feelings about. When I take a look at a course like this, that it's based on social justice issues, which we know social justice issues are inherently tied to politics. For example, Mexican-American studies in Arizona Let's take, for example, critical race theory across the country, but even now in in Florida. These are things that we're seeing where we're talking about social justice, but politics are inherent with it. And so how do you differentiate what's political activity and then what's a conversation about what's happening in the world and in this instance, Israel and Palestine? That's a really great question. And I feel like in any framework that people talk about, you know, whether it's public education or teaching as a political act, like it's very clear that like the curriculum you pick, the things that you engage in, the children that you serve, the youth that you serve, all of it is political. And the idea that the institution is suddenly engaging in a way where they're um, saying that we're engaging in political activity, (laughs) it's like this double-edged sword of when they choose to apply that. We talk about elections all of the time. You know, the last couple of elections have been very loaded for lots of folks, and um, we engage in that all of the time. And we know how to do it in a way that isn't advocating for one thing over another. So in this instance, it was political because we engaged in content that humanized people who are not being humanized. Um, I don't know that that is like really digging into a certain political agenda. Like me as an individual in the world, I don't believe that to be true. You know, of the hundreds of topics well i'm probably exaggerating there but of the hundreds of topics that have not been deemed political for this one to now be political when it's the same type of conversation we've been having it's just i don't know it's 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 troublesome it's problematic i mean the week before just to give you some context um the media watch was about the amount of money that teachers get to buy supplies for their classroom so students were talking about that and a student was like that's really 
problematic. You know, we have money to fund wars, but we can't fund our classrooms. <laughs> you know, like that is a very open and specific uh, statement. And, you know, that was a week before, the, literally a week before this all happened. Now you all have been taken off administrative leave. You're able to go back to work, but you can't teach the course for the last few weeks now. What were your reactions to that? Not being able to teach the courses that I teach um, for the rest of the semester feels really hard. It also feels like there is still this idea that like us being around students, specific students, we're a threat to them or we we you know, we're going to hurt them somehow if we're, if we're back with them again. And that's something that I'm struggling sitting with. It's also really hard to try and play catch up, you know, with helping support students in their fieldwork, helping support students with the things that they have going on in life. You know, we have a student who had a baby in the middle of the semester just a couple of weeks before we were put on leave and we were working so hard to support her. And there's so many other instances of things that we just had to like stop immediately and that is also really really hard um, to now try to figure out how do we quickly like jump back into doing what we know is best for students and supporting them and so yeah it's really hard and it feels kind of like a punishment honestly it feels punitive still even though the leave has been lifted in several different ways the inability to engage with students the continued conversation of needing to engage and repair for harm caused, which has now been opened up to include us in that process, meaning harm that we also experienced. And then also like the idea that, you know, a lot of our students just want us back because they want to be able to have like normalcy and routine and all of those things. And they all coexist. And, um, I honestly don't know how to do all of that because we haven't been given a whole lot of clarity or asked to um, provide for ways that we might be able to um, show up in that aspect. I don't I don't know how to move forward in all of this. We we are back. The lift is uh, the leave is lifted, and also there's not really anything to come back to in this moment. Which I'll just add on to that 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 is the hardest part because of how relational we are as as leaders of the program we're very relational and I genuinely care about the students I genuinely want to be back and and have conversations and listen and learn like so badly and so not knowing if we can or how to go about it um, is is really really hard we are deeply relational um not just with our students, but with the people who mentor them, with the community members that they become a part of. You know, we're talking about um, 75 different schools, 75 different teachers, um, all the children that are involved in those ways. We have a practice of home engagements where we go into families' homes and develop relationships as part of our teaching practices. And we spend two years with them we spend two two of the longest probably undergrad years that students according to them it's the longest and we learn alongside one another i don't consider myself a leader in any way shape or form i am a mutual learner with the students i learn so much from them i want to be in community in a way that is honest and able to engage in 
trusted relationship. And this has forever clearly changed them. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for everybody. And it's clear that they feel harmed by students who chose to move forward with leaking the recording or whatever have you. And, you know, we sit with the people that hold them to have to figure that out with them. And I don't know how to do that, to be honest. And I can totally see why some of their asks of not wanting to be in certain spaces feels real and totally reasonable. Would you all change anything from what has happened? No. I know that a critique is that not enough space was given to students um, to share their perspectives and reflecting back on the time that the conversation was had I feel like there was the space Um, and I'm always open to learning and listening to people to see how I can keep doing better right like we're always learning we're always growing which we we said multiple times in that conversation that we are all learners we always position ourselves that way and so I don't know if it's something that I would change, but it was something that I would want to drive home maybe a little more strongly um, moving forward is like there is space for you to share and, and, you know, different perspectives and listening to different perspectives is the the point of this. So maybe I would want to hone in on that more and and emphasize that this is a, a classroom where you do have space. I mean, even that feels complicated in the idea that like we engage in discourse that is not part of the dominant culture so and these ideas that you know we have to always engage and suddenly engage in this duality of issues I, I I feel like academia is a place to actually be able to dig into not having to do that so we already um, are cultured in dominant discourse right so like you know in this class we talk about Uh, the impact of white supremacy. So we don't ever actually sit and talk about how white supremacy needs to be given its fair share of time and space, right? We do talk about the impact of it. We talk about how it's become embedded in policy and all of these things. So I, I feel a little bit conflicted in that idea of like, we could have given more time I think our job in the classroom as uh, continuous learners, as Becca was saying, even that was weaponized in this situation. So us using language that we're modeling how we don't get to an end road of learning um, was used as a critique in this process. I feel very strongly that I would not have done things differently. And I push back on this idea of like needing to give equal space for quote-unquote both sides i agree about the the duality and two sides um and that's where i think that i tried to focus um, my facilitation of the conversation already which was like this cannot possibly be two sides there are so many different individual perspectives within the different identities that we're talking about um and so the idea of giving space you know for this side and then giving space for that side that's not necessarily what I meant when I said, you know, giving space. It's like, these are so, these are heavy. Everybody experiences things differently. Um, And so that 
kind of space is what I was referring to. So, yeah. And it, it's, it is complicated because you're, Rebecca's totally right about the literal definition of cultural pluralism is like making space for ident- cultural identities that are not a part of the dominant discourse, right? So that is very clear in that I wouldn't, there, there isn't really a need to dig into or give space for people a part of the dominant culture to be um, heard because they are already heard. And in this case, I think it's far more complex than just two sides. And so when I'm talking about space, that's kind of what I meant. Is there anything that I haven't talked about that you think is really important to this conversation and that you want people to know when they hear your story? The thing that I would like to make known is that I really feel like, you know, if we're looking at the trend of things happening, you know, even in the College of Nursing, for example, um, but all across the country is specifically related to um, what's going on in, in, in Gaza and all of this stuff. Um, people are getting reprimanded left and right all of the time for speaking um, in the way that we spoke, um, losing their jobs, getting suspended, things like that. And I think that our college made a decision that's different from that. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that and hopefully other institutions will be able to to mirror some of what we've experienced here at the end. Things are still hard, things still feel messy and painful, and at the same time, our college made a decision to support us and support academic freedom, reject academic censorship, all of those types of things. So hopefully we can be somewhat of a model of what this can look like moving forward for other people.